Hello and welcome to the Miko Bits show. And today, a uh, very exciting show. Uh, we have Rari Capital, so we have Jai and we have David. So, you know, it's very, very uh, exciting to catch up uh, with these folks. This uh, Rari Capital is a super exciting DeFi project. So, uh, very pumped up to kind of hear and get the get the news from them. So, uh, yeah, I guess I guess without further ado, let's jump right into it. So, hey, David, hey, hey, Jai, uh, great to see you. Hey there. Yeah, Thanks so absolutely happy to have you. And, uh, you know, I think one of the exciting things that we're seeing is we're absolutely seeing uh, Ethereum and Ether all time highs in the market. Uh, obviously, Bitcoin is creeping up towards a trillion dollars uh, just by itself with a dominance factor of about 60 percent. So, you know, what's what are your thoughts about kind of the macroeconomic climate and, you know, how you see uh, these assets and the strength of these these various assets? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that, first of all, it's really awesome to see Ethereum, Bitcoin, all-time highs. But when you paint this picture of it in this larger scheme of the world, in a world with zero interest rates, where capital is super cheap, and you realize that all of this safe capital, or quote-unquote safe capital, has become risk-on. And you see all of this capital that was once looking for 4% yields that they can't get anymore, and now they're buying Ethereum, buying Bitcoin, because they think it is the safest option at this point, because they need a way to opt out from the current financial system. And I mean, honestly, it's a scary world right now, right? Like that shouldn't be the case. The, the zero interest rate policy is really scary. And I mean, now all we can do is make sure that every investor is un understanding and aware of the risks and make sure that we help educate them. I think you're very, it's very interesting for you to kind of like talk about the zero interest world, right? And obviously, when you think about that, obviously, the US and other countries are following the model of the Bank of Japan, which for decades has been kind of in the negative yielding territory, you know, where the first layer of monetary policy has kind of failed, you know, and in essence, the thing that's been incredible about the Japan experiment is that that system hasn't actually imploded, right? That it has, that it, it's it's shocking that it continues to uh, function. And so, you know, I think it's a very, very strange macro. And I think the thing that people don't account for, in my opinion, is is that the economy as, as a whole has become effectively extractive. So when you see things like the attention economy, we're now using things like AI to extract the value of attention, much in the way that we use kind of like supercomputing to uh, for petroleum energy exploration, you know, where you use seismic sounding, you know, so extraction is kind of come into the economy and in a sense performs a function that's a bit like consumer inflation. So I guess I would say that like, you know, when you talk about this sort of like zero interest world and kind of how this uh, impacts kind of normal humans, it, it's absolutely this completely profound uh, experience and people feel like, you know, people feel the effects of extraction, right? They feel the effects of it in every utility bill. They feel the effects of it, you know, and obviously the effects in Texas right now with the, you know, energy utility just kind of being in a state of failure. So, you know, I think that this is really, um, you know, it's, and the extractive system is one where you take the infrastructure to the edge of its ability and obviously in order to maximally get a margin, right? So I think, I think the failure of systems like that is just because they're, they're razor thin. So, you know, I think a great, great context. And I would love to kind of get 
to the heart of the problem that you guys are solving because you know i think it's it's that's i think that this is all kind of a setting the stage for rari so i'd, I'd love to hear how you guys uh, operate in this zero yield world yeah for sure so i mean like when, when you look at capital right now you have risk on capital and then you have risk off capital and as i mentioned earlier a lot of this risk off capital is becoming risk on capital only because they have no reason not to right capital is cheap there's there's free returns basically everywhere at this point so it's like why not but there is substantial amounts of risk associated with it because they they've lost an opportunity to earn yield on on the capital in a low risk way so rari aims to reintroduce that optionality to investors by enabling anybody to earn a substantial amount of yield on their US dollars at first and then soon all of their crypto assets and do it in a trustless way where they can actually make a decent return. And I mean, zooming out, what one thing that we understood is most people are coming to blockchain and crypto in general to, to make money, right? It's a new financial opportunity and it's a new financial opportunity zone. And one thing that we, we understood is we don't want people taking on this price risk because there is intense risk associated with it. So our job at Rari is how do we enable the investor class to make as much money as possible without taking on significant risks like the price of asset moving? Wow, that is uh, absolutely tremendous. And those are really super valuable goals. I think, you know, the best thing uh, before kind of unpacking that a little bit, what, what I'd love to do is uh, maybe get a little bit of introduction from uh, each of you guys, you know, so uh, I guess, uh, you know, maybe we can swing it to David and, you know, have a little bit of a personal introduction and then uh, and then you do for you, Jai. So maybe, David, you can introduce yourself uh, in just in terms of your background and, you know, how, how did you get into this? Yeah, so my name is David Lucid. Uh, I've lived in Austin my whole life. Um, I've been a coder for as long as I can remember, um, ever since I was a kid. Uh, and I started writing Solidity about four or five years ago, uh, 2017, so I guess four years ago. Wow. Um, and ever since, uh, I've just loved it. Loved the security, the transparency, the reliability, the immutability. Um, I mean, it's definitely got its fair share of, <laughs> of pains. But uh, but anyway, yeah, Jay and I started Rari Capital just a couple months after we met um, back in March, April. And um, just been grinding nonstop ever since, and absolutely loving it. Oh, I'm sorry. So, so I should be pronouncing uh, the name. It should be Jay, right, instead of Jai. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's okay, I have a friend whose name is Jai, so that's that's what happened. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, so okay. so um, super super awesome, and you know it's it's great to hear about your journey in, in software and you know this this uh, solidity has been it's been really interesting. But uh, anyhow, Jay, uh, how about your yourself and your background? Yeah. Um, so before this, I was working at Ambo, which was like a mobile wallet that had a fiat on ramp index integration built in, um, built that up in terms of like the code and everything, and then ended up being acquired by my crypto, stuck on my crypto for about a year and realized this DeFi thing was really going to change the world. Right. And like, we'd been monitoring it this entire time. Like we were in compounds office before compound even launched and we understood the impact that it would have on like a on a macro lens and we said okay what's the best way to be a part of it and it was at the same time that like um the yield bouncing opportunities were great and we said let's let's fucking do it and that that's exactly what we did and i mean we reached out to david the second we came up with the idea and we were like david like you're the best guy for the job 
he's really humble, right? He's not just a 10x developer. He's a 100x developer, right? Awesome. Like, he the first prototype in the, like, literally days. And from there, it was really, like, a, it, it was perfect, right? That is that is super amazing. And uh, so, David, maybe you can tell us a bit about that early experience of, you know, how did you kind of get this thing spun up? And, like, you know, what were your observations about the, you know, this the, the design that you're working on? Yeah, so uh, the original design, um, very original design, was was pretty bare bones. It wasn't even uh, smart contracts. Actually, it was just like a node script um, that did all the all the yield aggregation. It was just DY, just DYDX and Compound. Um, so it's fairly simple, but nevertheless, I was really excited about the idea because you see all these super high yields, and they're all uh, you know very different. The markets are obviously not efficient, so you know why don't we? arbitrage those those values and you know makes a profit in the process and make the markets more efficient too um seems like a great idea so uh i just worked really hard on it as soon as jay told me about it and uh finished in just a couple of days and we were like wow this this is exactly what we wanted it to be let's make it you know uh in in this into a smart contract system um that we can deploy and that can be secure um and then we did that and we just <laughs> kept growing it uh now. Wow, that is that's absolutely exciting, and you know it definitely moves moves the blood. So, with respect to describing it, uh, you know, I think uh, you know you, you described really as this idea of uh, allowing uh, anyone to kind of get the yield, right? But obviously with the minimized or reduced risk, especially risk of asset valuation loss, right? So you were talking about things like USD or maybe a stable coin, you know? So I'd, I'd love to kind of understand sort of the real mechanics, right? Because obviously, you know, in, in the kind of world of traditional finance, in more efficient markets or liquid markets, you tend to see kind of risk and yields be very balanced. So how do you derive yield without kind of creating more risk? Yeah, I guess uh, I think that there are a few different pieces to yeah. that question. Yep. I think in terms of just like zooming out, how do how do we work, right? We have a yield aggregator, which is a smart contract that anybody can deposit into, and we automatically rebalance between various different protocols. Um, these protocols can be things like Compound, DYDX, Aave, traditional money markets, all the way to more exotic strategies like comp farming or lending, or I guess not lending, but providing capital on M stable and various things like that. Then um, when a user deposits, they receive something called the, like the, a pool token, which represents their share in the pool, which they can redeem for at any time for the pool value. But at the end of the day, we are, um, in terms of like, okay, like how do you sustainably maintain these yields, especially when technically like our yield aggregators competing for the same alpha that harvesting urine and all these other guys are. Yep. It, it's a really interesting dilemma to be part of because we don't want to compete with them. We don't want to just add another product to this ecosystem that's just trying to achieve the same goal. And that's something that we all understood, right? We just didn't want to do the same thing as everybody else. So we really zoomed out and said, what what do we actually want to contribute to this ecosystem? And one thing that we understood is the capital funnel really has three parts, right? Yep. You have capital onboarding in terms of MetaMask. Then you have capital formation in terms of our yield aggregator. And then you have capital deployment in terms of places where we actually put the capital, like the compound and Aave. And one thing that we came through in, in our realization is 
We want to control each part of the stack, not for the sake of control, but for the sake of bringing a 10x experience that's actually really innovative. And the first step in that plan is our new project and our new product called Fuse. And this is this is what's exciting me. This is what's keeping me up at night as I think about all the new ideas and things <coughs> that can be built on top of it. And what Fuse is, is it's essentially a market of money markets. So anybody can come in and build out their own essentially compound pool. They can choose what assets they want. They can choose what interest rate curves they want. They can even choose what oracles they want. And suddenly you you enable anybody to start their own money market, fulfilling like this true idea of like a trustless system, but also giving people the power that they should have, right? Like there's no reason that compound should be limited to eight assets and every asset should be voted on by token holders limited to an elite few. We should give that power to everybody. Yeah, that makes sense, right? But uh, you know, th doesn't that expose the kind of uh, capital in, in formation through the aggregator? It, doesn't that expose them to the risk inherent in the underlying protocols? So obviously, Compound Definitely. and Ave are are you know very kind of liquid and stable and beautiful and you know they've done well. But I guess you know I, I'm wondering kind of like you know typically uh that that's that's so that that's i guess that's my question <laughs> yeah so um these fuse pools that we're that we're describing they could be risky they could also be even less risky than compound it all depends on the assets the oracles the interest rate curves and the incentive models there so what we look into is we've developed something called the rari safety score and we cool. basically give each of these pools a score and that will determine if the yield aggregator will deploy capital into each of them and we'll also pass that score into the end user so that they are like well aware of the risks before entering into a position within a pool. And then the reason that we do that is because realistically, if we were to fragment these liquidity pools, you'd end up with fragmented liquidity, right? Like you wouldn't have liquidity when you want to borrow or do something. And then the answer here is let's let's make that let's fix that by using the yield aggregator, which is our bread and butter, and deploying the capital from there into each of these fuse pools. Yeah, so now we're, now we're kind of cooking with gas. So like, I'd love to hear about the Rari safety score. You know, how does the safety score? How is it derived? You know, and it's that's really in some ways the heart of risk, right? So it's it, the risk analytic framework becomes the kind of beating heart. Yeah. So we look at each piece of information about any asset within the pool. We look at how liquid it is on Uniswap or SushiSwap to make sure that we can liquidate at any time. We look at what's their track record, what's their market cap, because these are all big attributes inside of the framework. Then in addition to that, you look at the pool variables. You look at things like, is the liquidator being incentivized enough? Is the collateral ratio low enough? Is the reserve factor high enough? We don't want to end up in a situation where A, we get rugged, or B, we end up in a bank run. And it's all about how do we, how do we resolve these situations and, and prevent that from happening. Yeah, I mean, I think with respect to what we see in standardized traditional finance, we definitely see those types of things uh, existing in the context of stress tests, you know, and, and other kinds of risk risk analytics. So uh, I guess how much of the risk safety score is it? Is it all quantitative uh, and is it all algorithmic? Like, is it is it all expressed in the smart contract or is it is there any kind of a subjective or qualitative aspect? So it's all algorithmic, but it's actually not in the smart contract. It's currently in like an API that we've built. Um, 
we're going to integrate it into the yield aggregator, but for this first version of Fuse, it probably won't make it into the yield aggregator. Got it. Got it. And how many tickers do you follow with the safety score? We we support every asset on CoinGecko. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's massive. That's really interesting. And uh, so so that that's a super, super valuable. So I guess my question becomes, does the Rari safety score itself become sort of, uh, you know, is there an open source aspect or is this a proprietary score? Like, how do you how do you do deal with that? Yeah, we want it to be open source. We want it to be we want to work on it with the community. Like over the past few weeks, we put out a blog post describing how it's formulated for the sole purpose of getting community feedback and trying to generate conversations around it. So, I mean, if anybody listening has any advice on it, read our Medium post, The Rory Safety Scores by Justin, Justin Yu. He did a great job on it. Um, and, and let's start a conversation about it. Yeah, I love this. This is super valuable, uh, you know, intellectual property. And obviously, as it becomes more open, it's going to help the community a, a lot, especially this type of conversation. I think the thing that becomes super interesting is there's been a lot of discussion in the community about the valuation of assets, you know, and the valuation models, right? And, you know, we've seen some metaphors around the models that I think are just not uh, applicable. You know, I think uh, people think about things like TVL in the context of like balance sheet, which I think is inappropriate because, you know, balance sheet are assets that a corporation can liquidate, you know, in order to pay creditors or to do any, you know, anything, right? But I think that TVL is doesn't isn't owned by the protocol, so like how, how can you liquidate that? You know, it just doesn't unless you rug pull, you're not liquidating <laughs> TVL, <laughs> you know. So I'd say that like it, you know, it's it's really. Um, uh, it's sort of a huge value to be contributing to the community to to really help people clarify. And I guess uh, you know, do you, do you guys know like DeFiSafety.com? Like, what you know, what's your model with respect to things like smart contract risk? Like, uh, it might be a David question. You know, how do you, do you guys see security risk as being part of the overall risk score? Yeah, so uh, you mean in terms of our view of security or, or the risk scores view of... Yeah, yeah. When you look at the Rari safety score, are you are you actually contemplating sort of smart contract security risk and, you know, think, things like, obviously, we've seen recent, uh, you know, uh, exploits, uh, you know, re obviously, the most recent being like, you know, Alpha Omora, and there's a, there, there definitely have been sort of flash loan uh, exploits. So, you know, if you think about smart contract risk as part of overall risk asset risk you know how do you how do you do you do you consider that and how if so how yeah of course so fuse uh, all the fuse pools are running on the same code um and it's already been audited by quantstamp and it will be audited by two other leading security firms um and for all the fuels fuse pools uh our risk score framework compares the bytecode hashes to make sure that it's the same code that it, it that all the code has been audited uh we check the admin privileges uh see who the administrator is um and we can and we use that as part of the risk score and then all these parameters that you know influence the security obviously uh we're taking every single one of those into account <clears throat> um and all the statistics about the underlying assets in the pools just anything that would have any effect we're definitely taking into account but in terms of uh, smart contract code risk, uh, every, I mean, everything's audited by three protocols and more. Uh, the, the risk score framework double checks to make sure that 
no one's modifying the code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a super sorry super valuable uh, insight, right? Obviously, we want to make sure that the executable and the code that's being audited and displayed are you know haven't been uh, there's no variance, right? That's that's huge. Exactly. Yeah. So so the the protocol will make sure um, or, you know it'll give you a really big warning, like you know this this fuse pool. Uh, is using different code, uh, you know, like be very worried about depositing unless you know that the administrator is it's your own pool. It's, you know, have, have there been any kind of like uh, surprises or insights with respect to, I mean, it seems like if you're covering a, such a wide variety of assets, you may use your analytic framework may actually discover discrepancies between kind of market perception and the underlying, you know, reality of the risk. So, you know, I, I, do you have any specific uh, examples of, of places where you've, where you've seemed to found discrepancies, things where either the risk, the perceived risk was too high or the perceived risk was too low? Yeah, the framework's definitely going to be evolving, um, especially as we deploy it in pr into production. Um, in terms of like, you know, how much we're actually weighing each factor, and uh, you know how the how the numbers are computed. Yeah, I think you already really nudged right into my next question, right? Which is obviously, you know, the idea of a comprehensive risk score is super valuable, and I think it's very meaningful. The question then becomes like, what are the various weights of the risks, right? Because, you know, in a sense, it becomes almost actuarial, right? So it gets it gets a little bit close to almost like an insurance mindset in the sense that you have to kind of figure out which risks are larger and which ones are smaller, and whether you have kind of a, a, a weighting score. So uh, the other thing that becomes really interesting is you talk about kind of like parameterization is that, you know, the ability for end users to kind of configure different risk exposures becomes super interesting and it potentially becomes food for derivatives. So I guess I'm wondering what your mindset is around these, these, these thoughts. Yeah, um, definitely. We've been exploring all of these things, right? Um, in terms of our safety scores calculated, you can read the medium post if you're interested in yep. more, but we look at well, literally everything. Like we look at liquidity, volatility, which we calculate. Um, we look at how many swaps the token had or how many followers they have on Twitter, because even though these things aren't directly correlated, they do help paint a larger picture. And that's on the asset side. And then on the money market side, obviously we look at liquidator incentives and everything surrounding that. Um, we look at, okay, how many pools are in, in, I mean, how many assets are inside the pool and what's the risk um, with each of those associated assets. And then in terms of something that you brought up with derivatives, that's something that really interesting that we've been talking about internally lately, yeah. right? So like you're already starting to see all of these tranche products, or I guess the first derivative that you'll see is you can start taking out margin with the platform directly, right? That, that's, that's a pretty simple and easy, easy task to do, but then it gets like, you can already get margin on a lot of these assets, but that's not that interesting innately. The more interesting things is what happens when you can take out a junior tranche from Saffron or Barnbridge, put that junior tranche inside of a pool, and suddenly short a tranche itself within this entire DeFi ecosystem. Yeah. And suddenly you're giving people the financial toolings that was like that they've never had before, right? And like that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, I'm very pumped up about what you're describing. We've had a tremendous number uh, i i happen to be a little bullish on the derivative sector you know in general so we've had 
uh, Pankaj from Delta Exchange. Uh, you know, we've had uh, Opium Exchange. We're going to have Vega on here. Obviously, we had Synthetics on here. We had Uma on here. So, you know, it's just been a parade of DeFi derivative people, you know, and for me and, and CeFi derivative people, to be honest, uh, you know, including, uh, you know, a, a bunch of folks. So I guess, I guess for me, the thing that makes me think about is it makes me think that these underlying risk parameters can enable you to kind of factor your risk exposure the way that corresponds with your thesis, right? So, you know, in a way you can do incredibly powerful risk shaping as soon as the risk safety score kind of gets disaggregated. And as soon as like people get access to the primary data, you know, they can start to build on top of that. So I think that that becomes a, you know, just a, almost an infinite number of financial assets, uh, you know, that, that come out of the RAR ecosystem. I think that one thing that's really interesting to think about is right, like the crypto market cap is so big and it's it's great, right? Um, maybe like a trillion dollars right now or whatever it is. Um, and then you have the financial services market cap, which is also really big. But the the cool thing about Fuse is that it expands beyond both of those and it becomes a liquidity black hole, not only for financial assets, both on and off the chain but it becomes a black hole for literally everything of value, right? If there was a way to tokenize a piece of art in your house, why wouldn't you just borrow against it and take out a $100,000 loan if it's a million dollar painting, right? Yep. And that's how I envision the future of Fuse. I think that back in 2018 or 2019, Dan Olitzer described this thesis called superfluid collateral. And he was describing it as this idea that anything that can be used as collateral will be used as collateral. And in that piece, he was describing mainly LP tokens and um, like CDPs or yeah, like all of these DeFi native positions being used as collateral for other things and other things and it being better than what happened in 2008 because it's all open and transparent. But how I like to see it is I don't see the future of Fuse just being within these financial services or you just using your financial stuff as collateral. I see everything being used as collateral in this world. And I think that's what's so exciting to me is we're not just unlocking a few trillion dollar sector. We're unlocking a sector that is the entire world and every single piece of value in the entire world. And the yield aggregator is at the basis of that and fuses what actually delivers and extracts that value and gives that value to the user. I think the thing that becomes uh, sort of the boundary is that there are two fundamental pieces of technology that I think are necessary to kind of make this quantum leap that you describe, right? I would say that one of the kind of, uh, one of them is sort of the establishment of ownership of the collateral, right? So as soon as you go off chain, then you really need like, how do how does a person, you know, how do I know that you actually own the art that you claim that you own? So that's, you know, otherwise you get the Brooklyn Bridge coin, you know, and I'll sell you, I'll sell you 10 of those, uh, you know, so that's one major potential issue. And then the other issue becomes in kind of highly illiquid markets, there are many games and tricks you can play on valuation, right? So coming up with an airtight sort of uh, valuation mechanism, you know, for the art hanging on my wall, it, you know, and there are tremendous tricks that people do play with these types of things. So, so you know, but I think those are two different layers of trick, right? It's the, I'm selling you something that I don't own, or I'm manipulating the algorithm in a way to make something that uh, I do own seem like it's more valuable than it is. Yep. I, I will say like that vision that I described is very early in its conception. Right? <laughs> yes, of course. Assets, but that that's how I view the long term. And we've been ideating and like spitballing around 
ways to solve both of those problems because they are huge problems that not many people can or have even attempted to solve. Well, and I and I to me the vision is, and I think we're going to get to that segment, which is what I call the big idea. But I think that the thing that is exciting to me about what you're describing is is that there's just tremendous amount of low hanging fruit, right? So if you can just yeah. apply risk uh, RARI safety score to things like Compound and Ave and these just giants, and obviously you said you've already done it across all of the coin gecko listing you know coins it's it's you know that's a phenomenal achievement as it is and you know getting down to a painting that's on my wall like that's definitely a future expansion but it's you know it it leaves a lot of problems yet to be solved so you know i think it's it's a it's an exciting exciting future so i think that the next step i'd love to kind of discuss is talk about um sort of the numbers so like you know what are the your kind of traction numbers and like <clears throat> how do you measure you know today like what's what what are the what are the kind of results that you've gotten. Yeah, so there, there are a few different things to look at. Um, we launched in July about, we built up to $60,000 in TVL, which is funny looking back because we had a $350 deposit limit and now gas to deposit into the pools is almost $350, right? Like it's crazy. Um, and the $60,000 was a big deal for us because it was like, okay, there's a, there's a market here. There's a product here. This is something that we know people want now. And people are asking us to increase the limits. People are asking us, okay, what if I create 10 wallets and deposit across 10 wallets? Because they saw the value out of the, the initial Rari product. Then we launched V2 in October, on October 20th. And that was all about, okay, our new token, what, how do we want to distribute it? We distribute across 60 days beginning on October 20th, and we distributed 87.5% of supply in this in this notion of a, what is a fair launch and everything. Yep. Um, that went pretty, that was a very educational experience, quite honestly. We understood, A, fair launches aren't very fair. They are never <laughs> fair, and it's horrible to call them fair launches. And then so, B, can you unpack that for me? Uh, tell me how, what's unfair about a fair launch, uh, you know, in quotes. Yeah. So it's all just big hedge funds, big VCs coming in, playing with their bags and pumping up the TVL, making it look like it's tons of retails coming in and playing when it's really three or four major VCs and hedge funds. And they just want to sit on your tokens project and write up the balance sheet until until you guys either make it. And if you don't make it, they can still dump your token and they they have like nothing lost except the opportunity Amazing. cost of the capital lock up for the 60 day period. Amazing. That is, that is really uh, shocking and brutal and yeah. great. It's astonishing it, to it, hear. And like one thing that we saw is like, you look at the urine holders, right? Urine did a fair launch. Who's the biggest urine holders? It's all VCs. You look at who's the biggest Rari holders. It's all VCs. And it's really funny because in this notion of fair launch and in this notion of, Hey, we don't want the VCs in here they somehow ended up in here. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing because we've worked to culminate a great and curate a great list of token holders. We're in contact with all of the major ones and we are trying to actively work with them on improvements to the protocol. So that's something that ended up in our favor. However, it's not a fair launch. And it it was wow. a it was a very educational experience because wow. in the end of the day, it was all just mercenary capital, right? DeFi yeah. is just all mercenary capital. Yes. None of the capital is sticky. None of the capital yep. is going to stick around because they believe in us. They're going to move if they can get 2% higher somewhere else. Okay, so I want to, <clears throat> I do want to say something a little cautionary. And this is full disclosure. I'm a general partner with a VC fund. Like, mm -hmm. 
uh, we actually invest in entrepreneurs and teams, you know, and we're willing to endure things like lockups because we're not, we're probably not going to sell anyway, right? Because so we're, we're, you know, in a way, the thing that's funny about what you're describing about Fair Launch is that you could rename it like laissez Fair Launch, right? Which is more like a, you know, a mindset around the ruthlessness that comes with this kind of, uh, you know, mentality. And I think that, you know, in some ways, this kind of like less regulated realm of DeFi becomes this kind of hyper aggressive, uh, you know, game. And in a in a way, it sort of becomes a game of thrones, or it becomes a game where you know it's it's very it's a very bloody and ruthless game. So you know, I think yeah. that's fascinating. And I think to me, what if there was a, a form of fair launch where there was like a uh, community presale, right? So I think your idea initially of doing things like capped purchase would make it really interesting. Now, obviously, like, you know, people could do tricks like make uh, hyper disaggregated wallets appear to be, at, you know, thousands of small holders. And, you know, so people could do all kinds of weird things. But, like, I don't know. Like, it would at least make it inconvenient, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of really creative ideas that you can do there. The thing is, it was an educational experience more than anything for us. Right. Well, and, and it's terrific for you to share about it because the community yeah, should hear about your experience. It gave us the tools that we needed and the education that we needed to really zoom out, look at the bigger picture and plan out this roadmap of us tackling all three of these aforementioned layers in terms of capital onboarding, capital formation and capital deployment. And I mean, like, we're, we're really excited about it. Like, I have no other way to put it. When you talk about kind of like dealing with the three stages or layers, like, you know, what is there to do in the onboarding level, right? I mean, I think MetaMask is there and like, is there any, is there anything special to be done there? I mean, obviously the, uh, I, it's a bit of a perverse question since you're doing so much in the deploy layer and, <clears throat> you know, so, and the aggregator. So, so, you know, I, I'm just curious, uh, the three, the, you know, <clears throat> the third layer that you mentioned. 100%. So how I view it is there two two sides to the capital onboarding flow. There's the retail side and there's the institutional side. Um, I don't think that we've unlocked all institutional capital, nowhere near how we unlocked all institutional capital. A lot of hedge funds are deeply looking into DeFi right now, but they're prohibited from using any of these DeFi products because they don't know who their counterparty is. Their hedge fund mandate requires them to know who their counterparty is. And that's a real big struggle for these guys. So. One cool thing that we can do is inside of a fused pool, we can set a parameter to only KYC counterparties. Suddenly hedge funds and all these guys can start playing inside of DeFi. We give them the tools that they need to go and do something like that. And then B on the side of retail, it's a red ocean, right? High yield savings accounts, countless apps have tried to come along and attack this, attack this landscape. You have apps like Win in Finance, Outlet Finance, we don't want to compete against these guys. We don't want to end up in the same situation that we were in December with the yield aggregator. So what we're in the process of doing is doing a ton of market research and validation. We're running Snapchat ads, Instagram ads, Facebook ads to see what type of conversions we can get with a high yield savings account. We're doing all of this research in preparation to basically get soft onboarded capital. And what I mean by that is putting out surveys. Hey, how much would you onboard in terms of capital to, to each of these users? And we're not going to start putting engineering time or engineering resources until we get a few million dollars at the minimum committed into the product because we don't want to just build a product for the sake of building it. Got it. Yeah, I mean, that's <clears throat> that's exciting stuff. Uh, so I guess what I'd love to do is zoom out to sort of the big idea 
um, you know, we're, we're going to bounce up against the bottom of the hour. So I just want to like get that segment in, uh, which is, you know, how, how do you see, I mean, I think you already tickled the edges of it with this idea of like collateralizing the entire universe, you know, but I, in terms of the story arc of human history and the, your, your projects, like how, how do you see, you know, this, this as the, the what's, you know, where's the big idea? Yeah, I think the basis of it is how do we enable the most amount of people to earn the most amount of yield, right? And yep. that could be in the form of, okay, let's see fusibles, let's do whatever, right? We'll do anything that it takes to get the most amount of people and the most amount of yield. And what we just found is through this product fuse, that's that's one of the ways to doing it. And with the product fuse, it also enables us to reach a whole an entirely other vision, which is let's collateralize the entire universe, right? And I mean, I think that's the a trend that we've seen with all of our products is we have these goals in pursuit of these, like we keep on doing things for the yield aggregator and it unlocks this entire new universe that we're ready to explore. I think it's a tremendous vision and it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, the, I read a book called Debt, the first 5,000 years, and uh, it's, a, it's a really valuable insight in terms of yield and how kind of the securitization of debt is sort of marks this transformation of the financialization of human activity and the discomfort of human activity, economic activity. So I think it's a, you know, it's a great read and it's something people should, should check out. Uh, you know, I think you guys are really into, you know, some, some powerful stuff. Uh, I guess for me, I mean, this could be kicked over to David, like, you know, how do you see your roadmap? You know, and I know you already mentioned kind of the new products that are upcoming, but I'd love to kind of get your vision about sort of near mid and long-term roadmap for Rari. I know you guys are incredibly productive and I think you have incredible uh, ambitious goals. Um, yeah, so I mean, obviously, Fuse is the next big thing after that, combining Fuse yep. with our existing yield aggregator product. Um, and I think Jay can probably speak to some of the more longer term stuff after that. Yeah, after that, I think we're exploring a lot of really cool things. The aforementioned retail app, these institutional portals. And then one other thing which we haven't been so, or I guess two other things which we haven't been so public about to date. The first of which is a layer one to layer two automated market maker. I was going to ask about layer two. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. To, and basically like we, we love layer two, right? We're, we deeply want to explore layer two. And right now I find the OVM to be one of the most intriguing designs. There's one guy on our team who's literally in love with the OVM. And we are discussing, okay, what, what does it take for Rari to be built out there? And it takes an entire ecosystem of products to be built out there for us to properly deploy. So then it becomes a question okay, what does it take for an entire ecosystem of products to be built out there? And the answer is the biggest pinpoint is the seven day withdrawal period. So we're in early stages of designing a mechanism which could potentially um, sidestep the seven day withdrawal period by taking on, or by LPs taking on a little bit more risk. That is still very early in its ideation. The second product and one of the most exciting products that is on our longer term roadmap is this idea called tanks. And the idea is you can borrow an asset using Fuse, lend whatever asset you want, obviously, and you can go deploy that asset anywhere else. And the role of the Fuse will be to maintain that collateral ratio. And obviously this is like a generalized vault model that can be used for anything, both Rari products,
Dex. If you wanted to deposit Bitcoin, but not sell your Bitcoin into the stable pool, we could support that. But then also being able to do things like play with empty set dollar without selling your current crypto assets or any of these various things, um, we're exploring all of them. That's fantastic. And it's incredibly, uh, you know, that's incredibly creative. I think the reason why I was going to ask about things like layer two, obviously, is you already mentioned kind of the Ethereum gas prices. And if you do have this overarching goal to kind of enable people to access yield, I think one of the things that has happened with gas is that like the smallest wallets in the world have really been blocked out of you know, getting any kind of meaningful yield because every time they turn around, they're paying like 30, 80, 100, 300 dollars of gas fees. So like, you know, it's it's impossible for the smallest wallets to, to really do anything in DeFi today. And, you know, I think layer two is coming. So I'm very excited about that. And, you know, it's coming is funny way to say it. It's here, <laughs> you know, so like we're, you know, we're doing it, we're using it and, you know, ZK and Optimistic and there's so many different great things happening there well you know this has been super uh beneficial like you know you guys have been obviously a great uh stalwarts in the industry and leaders in the industry so it's super helpful to have you on the show um you know rari capital um fantastic uh great to meet the team and uh you know we really would love to stay in touch so you guys are welcome back anytime and you know if you got new products and new things to talk about it's just it's been great thanks for having us Absolutely. Thank thank you guys. Thank you. Okay. Bye.